Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. On today's episode, you'll hear from Connecticut State Senator Tim Larson regarding his recent Journal Enquirer op-ed on the legalization of sports gambling here in Connecticut. We discuss the policy process behind getting sports gambling legalized, how it should be run, how a solution for problem gamblers will be included as part of this legislation, and when he thinks you might be able to bet on a sporting event in Connecticut. Hope you enjoy. We're here with Senator Tim Larson today uh, to talk about some of the sports betting and gambling issues uh, facing Connecticut. So, Senator Larson, um, for those who might not be familiar with you, why don't you give us a quick background on yourself um, and how you got to your role here in the Senate? Okay, so... um I'm a state senator. I'm serving in my second term in the Senate. I served three terms in the House, and prior to that, I was mayor in the town of East Hartford. So in my role as a state senator, I represent the third senatorial district, which includes um, four towns, um, East Hartford, South Windsor, East Windsor, and um, I don't cover all of Ellington, but I cover the majority of that town. I share that with Senator Guglielmo. Just from a, a logistical perspective, so uh, I am the Senate co-chair of, of uh, public safety, and I'm also the Senate co-chair of insurance. Along with, um, I serve on general law, transportation, and commerce. So those are the committees that I serve on. What sparked you to write this op-ed uh, and bring some light to this uh, issue of sports gambling? Well, I I look at. Uh, uh, sports betting and continuing uh, the notion of really putting together a comprehensive solution for the state of Connecticut. Uh, We are losing out to our neighboring communities with regards to New York, Massachusetts, and Rhode Island, and we're, you know, uh, theoretically leaving money, you know, on the table. And frankly, before we start talking about expanding uh, gambling, I think we have to start to address problem gambling, as I mentioned earlier. So I've met with the Problem Gambling Council earlier in the summer and had conversations with them and we'll be trying to introduce legislation that will uh, provide uh, an educational base for people with problem gambling. We'll rely on our vendors who, as you know, are the uh, both Indian tribes, the Connecticut Lottery, and the off-track betting folks to contribute more to uh, problem gambling and to uh, allow uh, facilities like uh, the ticketing agents for uh, the Connecticut Lottery to enhance the uh, protocol and the advertising for numbers of outreach for that, as well as uh, looking at insurance companies for to code uh, that those conditions so that when people do uh, fall into uh, this condition and they uh, you know they go for outreach and help, that insurance would actually you know pick up on this on this condition and work for it. They're telling me that in the state of Connecticut, we've probably got about 30,000, 35,000 people that have problem gambling. So we want to make sure that, you know, if we're going to start to look at an expansion of gaming and gambling, that we start to look at the foundation and protect the people who are who are most uh, susceptible to that. That being said, that is important. I've always viewed um, the revenue from... Uh, gaming as a jobs creation, right, creator. And so when we put together the comprehensive package that would allow uh, both tribes to come together, these were two competing tribes to come together to form a uh, uh, facility and and put that into uh, uh, East Windsor, Connecticut, it was an opportunity to protect over 9,300 
jobs. You know, we're losing a substantial amount of revenue to the state of Massachusetts in tourism and in marketing, which frankly is the mainstay of the Connecticut economy, one of them, if you will. So when we put together the bill that formed uh, M&M4CT, the two combined tribes who now are in, um, in the process of, of getting approvals from the uh, Bureau of Indian Affairs, to me it doesn't come as any surprise that MGM has spent an inordinate amount of money to try to slow down that effort and clearly that they're in, in the um, uh, cahoots with the now president of the United States to slow down the effort in order to solidify the MGM piece. There, it, it's no surprise to me that there's a slowdown uh, of approval from the Bureau of Indian Affairs. We've approved one of, the, um, one of the tribes, and yet the other tribe has not been approved. So we're, we have uh, an investigation going on in Washington. Uh, we think we're going to prevail. The tribes are ready to get going as soon as they possibly can. And frankly, if they don't, I would be in favor of, of repealing the piece of that legislation that requires the BIA's approval, frankly. I think we have trusted partners for over over 20 years in this business, and we should be, be, we be doing that. So, And then we also take a look at, you know, the Connecticut Lottery. Again, a job creator, a revenue provider, and an opportunity for us. You know, we, we uh, uh, ran a bill that would study the opportunity for the uh, – the Connecticut lottery to fall under the auspices of the state treasurer, and you would take the over $300 million worth of revenue that's generated and use that to offset the pension uh, liability, some of the pension liabilities in, uh, in the state of Connecticut. So we, again, we use those revenues to deflect some of the cost, and then so you know the ultimate game would be to try to reduce some of the taxes by using the gaming revenue that's, that's uh, currently available. And so by the numbers, and these are rough estimates, and, and, and I stand to be corrected certainly, but uh, both of the tribes provide about $320 million of revenue. They one At their peak, it was much higher than that. I think there was $400 million at one point, and uh, the Connecticut Lottery sort of mirrors that, but now is outpacing, I believe, the, the, um, uh, the two tribe uh, contributions through the, uh, through the compact. And then thirdly, you have uh, the off-track betting folks, which I think are probably somewhere in the 12 to $20 million um, fr from the revenue perspective. So I look at that revenue, right? And then what the impact that that has done. So we take the, uh, the revenue in from the uh, Mash and Tuckets and, and the, the, the uh, compact money now, and we return that to every single town in the state of Connecticut in the form of educational uh, aid. It's part of the formula grants that every 169 towns in the state of Connecticut get. So that opens us up to the question at hand, right? So now we have this wonderful foundation. We have two of the largest casinos in the world in our state. We rely uh, pretty heavily on that revenue. And yet the piece of the puzzle that's not uh, complete yet is, you know, the sports betting and, and then electronic and online uh, access to those. I'm still really trying to understand those, but the fact of the matter is, and my uh, colleague uh, in the House, uh, Representative Joe Varenja, has done extensive work on, on uh, sports betting. We've actually held hearings on this, and he and I are on the same page with regards to trying to formulate a comprehensive solution for the state of Connecticut for uh, gaming, gambling, etc., because 
uh, our surrounding communities and states have already done this. And so what happens is I'm I often re- reminded of my great friend who's no longer in the state legislature, uh, Kathy Tallarita from, from Enfield, who was uh, instrumental in uh, the Sunday sales of, of uh, beer and opening up package stores, which was quite a contentious uh, debate. But that was clearly where you had people in en- Enfield, Connecticut, were literally walking over to Massachusetts and buying their beer because they were open. And, and so there's so many scenarios that m- model that and... Um, uh, so we want to be in that, in that arena and in that game in, an, in, a, uh, in a smart way so that we actually put together a comprehensive package for, um, for that. Um, going back to the original legislation with regards to the uh, com- combination of the casinos in East Windsor, part of the table game revenue will actually be, uh, in addition to the slot revenue that would come back to the state, the table game revenue out of the uh, East Windsor facility would go directly to tourism in the state of Connecticut. We we factored that to be about seven million dollars uh, going right into marketing and tourism and development. And so you have major sporting events and you have major hotel chains and you have m- major attractions in the state of Connecticut where that seven million dollars would go to advertising. And then you have uh, uh, the Connecticut uh, Convention and Sports Bureau where you have uh, a, a, a group of people that are on the phones that are going out to these conferences and trying to draw people into the state of Connecticut so that the hotel and the convention centers and our and our attractions here in the Connecticut in, in Connecticut are being taken care of so we're using all of those effective dollars primarily first of all to to uh, uh, lend support to problem gambling lend support uh, to education and then lend support to deflect some of the costs for the state of Connecticut and then use some of that money in the tourism industry to attract people to come to the state of Connecticut. So I think it's important. I think that, you know, uh, the numbers that I've been, I've heard, and I may be low on this, is it's not necessarily uh, that large amount of uh, money. When I say that in a large amount of money, I mean $45 million, $60 million in a state that's looking under every rock and, uh, you know, the couch cushions now for loose change to, to uh, again, reduce taxes and, and pay uh, its obligations to uh, keep the state up and running is important. Many people don't understand or realize this, but the combination between both 169 towns and the state of Connecticut, the, the budget for the state of Connecticut is approximately $20 billion for discussion purposes. The equivalent of 169 towns is also $20 billion. So it takes $40 billion to operate the state. And you wonder, you know, where we can go to tighten our belts. You know, we were fortunate enough this session to pass a, a, a bipartisan budget without a tax increase. And I think that that seems to be the way that we need to continue to operate by continuing to belt tighten, look at shared services. And revenue opportunities like this that we're leaving on the table are, are important. You know, I think that sometimes people forget or realize if you if you have a home mortgage, right, mm-hmm. and you try to look at the time value of money. So when you're paying off your mortgage, right, you're making a monthly payment. You want to expedite that mortgage. You make two payments, so you add some more value or some more resources into that. So if we have more revenue coming into the state, we can deflect 
some of those pay down some of those long-term obligations that we have sooner and that in the long run I think is very very beneficial to the state yeah absolutely and I think some of the things you talked about you know will quell the concerns of those opposed to sports gaming especially with the problem gambling legislation you've talked about in terms of the process of actually putting this into place what does that look like realistically when do you think we'd be able to place a bet on a game here in Connecticut well they're already doing it just yeah. we're not getting the revenue so um, it, you know there is some talk frankly of uh, a special session that we may have to put together something either prior to the election or shortly thereafter to tie up any sort of loose ends that have been going on I'm fairly sure that we have had the proper public hearings, if you will. And if not, we could carry this into uh, the discussion in, in the next legislature. And so, again, with the right strategy and the right plan, we would have a public hearing. Would, bills would get introduced in public safety, probably in judiciary, probably um, in other committees that would sort of start to commerce, that would start to uh, resonate uh, what would be the confines or the construct of legislation, we would put that through a committee process and then and then bring it to the uh, floor of the House and the Senate to a vote. So, you know, I would, I would think that, um, you know, depending upon how the, uh, the bill was structured and the activity and so forth, I think it could happen relatively, relatively uh, quickly. Uh, again, I, I think that you know, what are we talking about in real terms, right? We want to know, you know, how it's going to be facilitated. We want to know how it's going to be um, um, managed, how the controls are going to be put in place so that um, we're protecting people from problem gambling that, you know, can't have access to that or, you know, try to limit that access to that figure out what those controls need to be, what those systems need to be, who ultimately will be the, you know, the end user of that. So all of this stuff is fairly has been fairly, you know, vetted. We certainly would follow systems that are already in place through the Department of Consumer Protection, which also regulates uh, special revenue and gambling in the state, you know, down to the church bingos. Um, they have... Um, you know, so we have the systems in place. I think it would be structuring the right arrangement with the right partners and making sure that uh, the safeguards were in place, that the revenue was uh, protected, and that and that we had uh, the information in place to for for um, where that ulti- where the ultimately the revenue may that's generated ends up going. Right now, it probably end up going into a general fund. Some people may uh, want to target that money for for uh, specific uses, you know, a transportation fund, mm-hmm. an education fund. I think that, um, you know, sort of any new money should go to paying down our long-term obligations so that we can pay down those, those obligations faster. One thing I've seen on the issue is it seems that Governor Malloy has taken a lead role in trying to negotiate with the tribes and, and kind of figure out that end of the deal. Are you able to speak to any of that at all and, and where things kind of stand on that front? Well, I mean, I, I, I applaud that effort, frankly. You know, I mean, he, he's, uh, he does have uh, certainly the, the pulse. He has the, he, he has the um, 
you know, the ability. He has the resources at hand. Uh, he's a smart man. He, he understands, you know, hopefully what I've been able to eloquate. I have not had conversations with him particularly about this, but I know that we've had public hearings through the efforts of, of Representative Varanja in uh, a, a, you know, great representation. And, you know, frankly, our committee is, uh, is open to it. Not, not to say that, you know, frankly, there are, there are several people, you know, I, I can't speak for uh, my Republican co-chair, uh, Tony Guglielmo, but, he, you know, I, it's, he's been pretty vocal about not being a proponent of, of gaming. I mean, just mm-hmm. that's, you know, and, and frankly, I, I appreciate that and certainly respect that. So this is not necessarily a slam dunk for any, at all. Um, and and uh, But I think that if we have the right resources in place and the right, um, the right appetite for it, I think we should have a lively discussion, and I think we should not leave this money on the table. Is this something you could see being a bipartisan agreement? Absolutely. Or? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, frankly, we were very successful this last session in, in putting together a bipartisan budget. You know, we have an 18-18 uh, split in the Senate, and I think, um, you know, I don't think any of us, either side of the aisle, has the corner on what the ab- absolute solution is, and that's the beauty of the process, right? So so through the public hearing process and through a, a rigorous debate on making sure that the, the, the safeguards are in place for, for problem gambling, that safeguards are in place for the revenue that can be generated by this, um, I, I would be very optimistic to say that we, would, we could put together a bipartisan uh, effort. You know, frankly, most of the work that we do inside of our committees, you know, and we uh, joint favorable issues out of our committees, most of those are, are bipartisan, you know, where the, you know, the political debate ends up is in the policy decisions on the floor, right. you know. So this is a pretty straightforward, you know, we've been in this business for quite some time between the off-track betting, between uh, the casino operations and the Connecticut lottery. So it shouldn't come as any surprise. Um, it's just where the best fit is for parking the operation, right. where the best fit is for where the revenue ultimately should end up and making sure the safeguards are in place. Do you have an idea in your head of where you, who you'd like to see run this operation? Is this something you'd like the tribes to be running? Or Yeah, I, I do. I, you know, um, uh, I think that the off-track betting has a, you know, they have a niche. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you talk to them, they run, they run a very legitimate business, but they have a niche market. And I, I don't know that that's necessarily going to grow, if you will, mm-hmm. because of Automation because you know you can there's an app on your phone you don't have to leave your house you know FanDuel and all of the other yeah. stuff that's going on currently frankly I think that they've got a place right I also think that the that the lottery has a place as well I I do have some concerns about you know how the lottery is administered and how you know that we've had a couple of hiccups with some with some gaming that they have done. And so I've got some concerns about that. Uh, I, I, I like the, the avenue of the uh, casino, uh, frankly, the, that's being operated by the tribes. They're landowners in the state of Connecticut. You know, if you just think about the physical operation and, you know, how to secure and manage that, they are in a secure location, so it sort of makes it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. They already have the ability to turn this on. Tomorrow, probably, you know, they, we look at other states that are doing this. Nevada, particularly, 
and then and then so you know I would see them being the uh, the cohort or the lead on this thing, and then depending upon how uh, what the securities were, you know, opening up online uh, gaming to you know the Connecticut Lottery or, or thereabouts, provided that you know the the state treasury you know had some say on this, you know, because they're sort of a public-private company that's raising revenue for the state. I think that there's efficiencies that can be gained and I, from their operation. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's efficiencies that can be maximized by their revenue to the benefit of stakeholders in the state in the form of dedicating funds to pay down long-term obligations like our pension. Right. Do you have a place in mind you'd like to see revenue from gaming, sports gambling go towards, um, I know we talked about the lottery going towards some of the education efforts, um, you know, I think that most of it would probably go to a general fund to start. Is there a place you'd like to see some of that money directed? Yeah. Um, you know, we have a, a we have long-term pension obligations, right? So we have less people today working for the state of Connecticut than when Ronald Reagan was president. People don't understand that and believe that, but we, you know, we've done a pretty good job, governors done a very good job with, with reducing the workforce, right? And then changing these long-term pension obligations to uh, define contribution plans and the like. But we have 50,000 retirees in addition to the 47,000 or better or less employees we have this we have this significant pension obligation that lands out there that we can't turn our backs on. We, you know, and, and many of those people frankly live in the state of Connecticut. So I'd like to see any of this new revenue go to the treasury and get a, a, a fix on a pay down of those long-term pension obligations. And when we, when we, if we can pay down the pension obligations quicker, mm-hmm. we're not leaving that out for uh, future generations to pick up. Okay. Perfect. Uh, one last question, and I, I think it could interest people who are thinking about betting on games legally here in Connecticut. I know New Jersey had put a stipulation that didn't allow you to bet on collegiate events. Is that is that something you think would be something here? I, I think, you know, I think that that's part of the. I think that that's part of the um, the process. I think I think learning full scope of, of what that what does that mean? Right. You know what I mean? And what is is the net effect of of gambling on college games? It also goes back to you know should we be paying uh, kids in college to uh, play sports when you know they're generating millions of dollars in TV revenue and, and the like for these major universities. So, you know, I don't know on that. I think I would be certainly, through our process, I think we would need to learn and, and get a real understanding of of the impact that that may have on, on the play. I sort of like to see benchmarks and, and some sort of a, a metric that we're sort of basing all of this off of so that, you know, what do we know? How do we know people are betting on that now? What is the impact? And so, you know, I think that the the thing is is to sort of move on this, get it started, and see where it goes. Right. Um, and then maybe add if you had to. But you know, I think. I always like to walk a little bit before I run. Yeah, absolutely. And see what it looks like, and then and then uh, keep some tight controls on it out of the box, and then certainly start to explore with the proper metric 
that would allow you to uh, to do this sort of thing. Great. And I'll get you out of here on this. If you could give me a yes or no, do you think you'd be able to legally place a bet at Mohegan Sun or Foxwoods on sports in 2019? I would say yes. There we go. All right. I would say yes. I just, again, I'm confident that that this is already being done in other states. I don't think that this is rocket science. I think... You know, we can literally walk to our neighboring communities, figure out what they have for protective safeguards, figure out what they have currently done, mirror that situation. We have great partners with both of the tribes. We have we have an institution in the Connecticut Lottery, and and so I I, I believe that you know certainly anything is possible, and and you know based on what we're looking at from a revenue perspective, uh, potential revenue perspective. With all the protective safeguards in place, I'm, I'm pretty confident that that could happen. Perfect. Great. Thank you so much to uh, Senator Larson for joining us today. Thank you.